You're listening to the Tranquility Tribe podcast, an empowering space for all parents from conception to childhood. In this podcast, you'll explore your birth options, hear from experts in the field, learn to embrace self-indulgence, and prepare yourself for parenthood with Haiti. She's a coffee connoisseur, lover of deep belly laughs, a big-time tailgater, and your neighborhood birth junkie. From Mississippi to Massachusetts and everywhere in between, here's your host, Hee. Hello, villagers! Happy Tuesday! Oh my gosh, we made it to another week. We have a full week in front of us to conquer our to-do list, to dream up bigger dreams, to cross off the dreams that we've already accomplished, and to send kindness out into the world. Yes, we have a lot, a lot of stuff to do this week. You can do it. I believe in you. Happy Tuesday. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for taking some of your time to spend with me and caring about the things that I care about. You are listening to another episode of the Tranquility Tribe podcast, episode number 59. Today, I'm super stoked to share this very fascinating episode with you. Today, I have on Taylor Tolton, and she is the owner and founder of Rising Moon Apothecary. We connected over Instagram because... That's where I find so many people these days. The wide, the wide web. Mm, love-hate relationship. I love it. I also dislike it very much. I began to follow Taylor while she was pregnant, and then I followed her through her journey of a fascinating postpartum. And that is what I'm really excited to share with all of you today. Taylor practices crystal healing, Reiki, and herbalism. Hang on to your pants, y'all, for the most hippie episode yet. This one goes full-blown Earth Child. I'm super excited. Let's dive in. Tuning in from North Carolina, Taylor, welcome to the show. Hi, I'm so happy to be here with you. Oh, so excited to have you on this show. This show is going to be incredible. From all the things that we are talking about to I know the random rambles that we're going to get off on, I can't wait. But before we do all that, tell us about yourself. So what's your story? How did you become to be this herbalist and an apothecary owner? So basically my entire life growing up, I really wanted to be a music teacher. And I'd even gone to school and did classical training and everything. But then I was meditating one day and everything just switched for me. It was like the lights came on and I was like, I'm going to change my major to environmental science. So then I did that and I ended up feeling lost again and I didn't agree with some things my teachers were saying so I decided that you know that's not really how I'm gonna make a difference in this world so my now husband back then he was my boyfriend he talked to me a lot about chi and energetic healing and reiki and stuff like that so after that that was when I was like I'm going to do that. And I love herbs. I love plants. I am a natural crunchy mama. I am for alternatives that are based around natural living. And so that's what really happened there. That is amazing. Getting, getting your stuff from the earth, right? I, I had never thought about this lifestyle until I moved to Boston. Um, I can't say that's, I guess, exactly true, but it definitely was not on my radar nearly as much as it is now um, being in the city, but it's, it's definitely everywhere up here. So it's easier to live a really healthy lifestyle. It's just very intentional um, choices and approaches and decisions, which I mean, I'm all about intentionality. So 
perfect. There you have it. So I also want us to go into your birth because you had something called a lotus birth. And I think our listeners are going to not only be completely fascinated, but totally wowed at your birth story. Yes. So I planned an all-natural, unassisted home birth, which that didn't exactly happen, but I was really excited when my doctors were like, you can still have this lotus birth, and the lotus birth is basically umbilical cord non-severance. So that's just what you do. You don't ever cut the cord. It falls off on its own. It actually is such a cool experience. It dries so quickly. I had no idea that it would dry that fast. And it was really cool. I personally believe, as well as my husband believes this, that, you know, if the umbilical cord was meant to fall off, it would do so immediately. Like, immediately, if it was meant to be cut, it would fall off right away. So we decided that, you know, since it doesn't do that, then we should just let it take its natural course. So it ended up taking about five days, five and a half days, and it just fell off. It was really stringy and mucusy at the end. It was kind of gross. But having the placenta attached to him for so long really put in, like, a different sense of protection a different sense of finesse around having to carry this placenta with him and not letting it get too far away from him so it wouldn't tug on him or anything. Mm -hmm. Getting into different nursing positions, moving the placenta around, it was really interesting. First, we had to put it in a strainer. You have to strain the placenta for 24 hours to really let all that moisture out of it. And so we put towels in the bottom of a lunchbox. And then we put the strainer on top of the lunchbox with the placenta in it. So after the 24 hours was up, we kind of washed it lightly with just water. And then we had like this herbal blend with lavender, chamomile, calendula, and I think a little bit of rose. And those things really are like antimicrobial to protect it. And herbs and even adding a little bit of salt really help the drying process of the placenta. The umbilical cord dries really fast on its own, mm. but the placenta you really had to dry out so it'll dry like, a little faster and fall off and be really healthy. So after it finally fell off, we decided to bury it where we got married in my mom's backyard, which was really sweet. That is amazing. Okay, so to clarify for our listeners, Taylor is talking about having your baby and then you you birth your placenta and you never cut the cord. And so for for days, you know, until the placenta, until your, your baby stump would fall off, your placenta is connected to your baby. That's a lotus birth. You should really look it up. It's actually pretty cool. So, um, Taylor, what inspired you to have this lotus birth? Was it just the belief of you and your husband of like, you know, human intervention isn't really necessary. And if it was meant to fall off within the first few minutes of birth, then it would. That was part of it. I was also like, I had heard of placenta encapsulation you know that is a big thing and I was like do I really want to do this what else can I do with the placenta and I came across this article and the lotus birth is typically a very sacred traditional thing in India and over on that side of the world which makes a lot of sense because they are very um, earth-minded doing the natural way completely and so I looked into it, and actually a lot of Western doctors don't agree with it because it is an open organ. But the thing about that is after the cord turns white, nothing is transferred back and forth. So a risk of infection for the baby is very low. Also, the herbs and everything really helps minimize any infection or blood clots or anything on the placenta. But after that, we just really felt that that's what needed to happen because he is such a wonderful baby. And 
the placenta in the womb is that baby's best friend. They love on the cord, they play with the cord, they snuggle the placenta. That is with them all the time, those nine months. And even after he was born, he would grab the cord. He would grab it. And he didn't really see the placenta, so I don't think he would really care to grab that. But the cord, would, like he held onto that several times. And having a lotus birth is actually said to really have, make the bond better and just make it easier for their transition into this world. Because you're going from this small, dark, tight place that's fully wet and you only know your placenta and your body really. And then just this big open world. So it's a smoother transition. That is so wild to hear you talk about um, him holding his cord like that. It reminds me of like a, a, a lovey or a snuggie, right? Like a comfort item. It is so wild. That's crazy. So I guess my question is, you're throwing a lot of um, information at us. Where did you find your research on lotus births? Um, since this is not something that happens, you know, often, where are you making, um, or how are you making your choices, and where are you finding your research that's evidence-based? Well, there's not a lot of evidence based on that. It's more of a traditional thing. Like, typically herbs and very natural traditional things don't really have a lot of medical scientific research in this day and age. And what I saw on the westernized doctors not agreeing with it they didn't have any evidence. They didn't have anything to back up their claims about it. So that's when I saw that I was like, well, if there's not really this big risk and, you know, I just kind of put two and two together and was like, you know, this is natural. This is supposed to happen. You know, back hundreds of years ago, they didn't cut the cord. They didn't have stuff to cut the cord. They didn't even know to cut the cord. So it's kind of just become a routine thing now. So we just kind of wanted to break that routine and just let nature take its course. I love it so much. I'm all about breaking routines over here. Um, I also love that you are standing up and advocating for something that you have spotted in our healthcare system as routine, but unnecessary. Um, yeah, I love that advocacy all around. Love it, love it, love it. So um, you mentioned that you had chosen to have an unassisted home birth, correct? Yes. Cool. What, uh, what made you choose this route of delivery? I hate the medical system, <laughs> how it is right now. I really did not want any interference. I didn't want any of that. But we found out at 37 weeks that he was breech. And that was just kind of really scary for me. I wanted to still try a vaginal natural birth breech, but I was not okay doing it unassisted. So I, I searched for at least a week trying to find a midwife or a doctor or somebody who knew and was trained in breach birth but the one midwife that was recommended to me never responded to me so I ended up having to plan a c-section but what is just so perfect about that is the day before we were getting all ready for it and went to sleep around midnight because we were so anxious but then I woke up screaming in pain at three o'clock in the morning. I was in labor. I had gone into natural labor. And what was weird was because I had prodromal labor for weeks before that, but this was different. I could feel my body pushing him out and I wanted to throw up. I was screaming in pain. So we got to the hospital around 4 a.m. Then, you know, we had to wait because they weren't ready for me to have my C-section or whatever. So around five or something, maybe even six, my water broke. It gushed everywhere. So then they got me back and I had a wonderful C-section and they were still very accommodating. 
and very nice about the lotus birth. Nobody gave me any crap about it, which was wonderful. I didn't have the natural birth I wanted, but I still had a beautiful birth. That's amazing. So what what did your conversation look like with your doctor about your lotus birth? Did you have it beforehand or did you wait until your C-section and say, like, please just leave everything intact? Well, it was in my birth plan. And when we planned my cesarean, I was like, I had it printed out and I had it with me. And I was like, I want all this stuff done. Everything. I even did the vaginal swab for the microbes for the baby because he didn't and exit out of my vaginal canal. So I wanted him to have the benefits from that. So they did that. They were so accommodating. I had like 10 birth plans printed out. Birth plans are so important. And I had that posted everywhere. Every nurse had one. And they were really sweet and accommodating about it. So funny to hear you say that, um, even though you had a planned C-section, those are often the clients that I find give me the most flack about creating a birth plan or people who feel like their birth is already planned out for them. You almost have the most control in that situation. Like, you're pretty much in a, in a calm room. I mean, yeah, you're opened up and your stuff is on a table, but, like, people are calm. There's no emergency. There's not super amounts of unknown. Of course, in anything medical, anytime you open somebody up, anytime there's a birth, there is an element of unknown um, and uncertainty. But for the most part, you're in the most controlled environment a birth can be in. Right. You need a birth plan. This is your chance to like ask for all the things, all the things that you want. Here's your chance. So I love, love, love to hear you say that. So what, um, what'd you do with the placenta? You carried out a very specific, um, ritual. What did that look like? And how did you come to want this one? It was so raw. It was kind of gross at first, but like, I've done a little bit of research. I'm not 100% sure, but also the sperm that comes from the father really helps make the placenta. So when I birthed that and carrying it around, it was like, this is all three of us. It's not just me. It's not just Jasper. It's all three of us in this organ that's out here and it is raw it's kind of gross some people probably won't be able to stomach it but honestly after that 24 hours of straining and after you putting herbs on it it looks a lot different there's actually a tree of life in it you can see like this tree in there and it's so so beautiful and the more it dries out the more herbs it gets on it it looks a lot better it doesn't look as bloody and gross as it does when it first comes out but we ended up planting it burying it under an azalea bush in my mom's backyard that is so cool um and you also you mentioned the the tree of life so at births that i attend i love love looking at the placentas and you know it's really amazing doctors love teaching about it all you have to do is ask I've had doctors I have like felt and jiggled and looked and you know picked them up and manipulated so many placentas because doctors say like do you want to touch it do you want to play with it like they want you to learn about this stuff. I think they also see the importance of it. Um, and I love, it's a little bit weird. It's super crunchy. This is where my hippie side really digs deep, but I love the prints of the tree of life of your placenta and your placenta for everyone listening. It's like your fingerprint. There is never another placenta that is just like that one. So you can have more children and they'll be different. It is so cool. Every baby has their own placenta. It's like your baby's very first fingerprint is their placenta, but it's all three of you. That's amazing. I had no clue about the placenta and the sperm and it being such a triad. It would be, you know, the three of you. Amazing. That is so, so cool. So you mentioned specific herbs and, um, as we talked about before, you um, specialize in specialize in herbs. What herbs would you um, use during pregnancy, and like, what are their specific benefits? 
So in pregnancy, I use lavender for my anxiety. I've always had really bad anxiety, but when, you know, pregnancy, there's the hormones just everywhere, and I was so anxious all the time. But lavender supplements, there's this one that I use, it's called Calm Aid. It's capsules of lavender essential oil. They're like very small dose, but it's so wonderful for anxiety. It's like, it's a daily thing. Although if you don't want to take it daily, you can just take it on set and it works just as good. I just took it as a preventative and it worked amazingly. I also took red raspberry leaf. Red raspberry leaf is widely known to tone the uterine muscles and really prepare for birth. I had to stop taking all supplements like a week before my cesarean, but also before we found out he was breached, before I was gonna have a cesarean, I also took evening primrose oil. I took that daily from around 34 weeks. Um, you can't even start earlier. I wouldn't start before 30 weeks because that's my personal view, but evening primrose oil really, really helps just the female body overall, not even just the reproductive system. It helps with so many things. And even with menopause later down the road and, and menstrual symptoms, it helps with that all around. But I would take a capsule internally and I would also insert a capsule vaginally, which really helps soften the cervix. That's amazing. Um, I talk to my clients about pretty much all of those herbs and listeners. Oh my gosh, do I get tired of saying this, but please just remember, none of us are doctors. We're definitely not your doctors. Consult your doctor before you do anything wild and crazy, like putting something in your body. So thank you for that. Um, awesome. I love, love, love to hear you talking about all of the herbs that I also, um, you know, recommend and educate my clients on. And then of course have them ask their doctor about those are, um, some of the same herbs that you use your placenta, right? We put calendula, chamomile, and lavender, and I think a little bit of rose on our placenta. Amazing. What herbs did you use uh, during your postpartum period? What herbs were super important? Um, anything from like healing to anxiety again, breastfeeding? What were your staple herbs? My staple herb for the first six weeks postpartum was red raspberry leaf. It really helps contract the uterus back down to shape. But then St. John's wort has been the other herb that I take super beneficial for postpartum depression. St. John's wort is one of the best herbs for mental illness all around. And I struggled my entire life with depression and it just got really bad postpartum. I have a really good handle on the rest of my depression, but it just hit me like a truck after a couple weeks. Cause you know, you're on that baby high for like a week or so after, and then you kind of crash. And St. John's work really helped pick me up and stabilize me, and it still does. And it's been super beneficial ever since I started taking it. That's amazing. I love, 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 love. Um, and do you have an herb that you love for breastfeeding? It really just depends because a lot of different herbs have different qualities and help with different things. For depression, I would recommend either lemon balm, chamomile, or St. John's wort. For anxiety, chamomile or lavender. For digestive issues, chamomile or dandelion. But when taking dandelion, make sure that you hydrate yourself. For sure. When taking any herbal supplements, hydrating yourself is crucial, especially in breastfeeding still keep up the water intake from pregnancy. Because herbal supplements kind of do dry you out a little bit, dandelion more so than some others, but it's just really good all around to completely stay hydrated. Good tip other, information. Yeah, other ones for breastfeeding, um, if you get sick, 
On the onset of a cold or just throughout the cold, echinacea is really good, but echinacea is a short-term herb. Do not use echinacea long-term at all. Immunostimulant herbs like echinacea and ones like it, they're meant for short-term because if used long-term, they can cause an imbalance. But basically what echinacea does and other immunostimulant herbs, they stimulate phagocytosis, which is white blood cell production and identification and stuff like that to really boost your immune system. So it really gets you through a cold or some upset or something like that. Other breastfeeding herbs. I've heard some good things about fennel and I've also heard some bad things about fennel. I personally don't know too much about that. But one thing I do want to say, this isn't technically an herb, but apple cider vinegar supplements, not the actual liquid vinegar, because I can't stomach that. But the supplements are amazing for digestive issues. And heartburn. When I was pregnant, in like the beginning of my second trimester, I had horrible heartburn. I started taking apple cider vinegar supplements, gone completely. That's wonderful. Amazing. I love it. Getting things from the earth and using, you know, herbs to, to solve our challenges or our problems or all the things. I love it. It makes me so, so, so happy. Going to the local herb store here is like a field trip for me. I always try and go on a Friday to celebrate my week or a Monday to start off my week. I love it so much. So you also are a Reiki practitioner. Tell us a little bit about that. How can expectant new parents benefit from Reiki healing? So Reiki is a energetic form of healing created in Japan about a hundred some years ago. Basically what it is, is channeling universal light energy from the practitioner into the client. Chakras are focused on in Reiki and often other forms of energetic healing. A chakra is a spinning energetic wheel. That's what chakra means in Sanskrit. There are hundreds of chakras in every single living being. But the main seven is what's focused on most. The root chakra focused is on grounding and being protected and being safe and stuff like that, as well as deals with the lower digestive systems and stuff like that. Then the sacral chakra is what is focused on the female reproductive systems or male reproductive systems. And whenever I do Reiki on a pregnant woman or a newly new mom, I always focus on the sacral chakra so much because it's really good to have a healthy uterus, to have a healthy birth and recovery. But then the third chakra is the solar plexus chakra, and that focuses on digestion and your ego and authenticity and stuff like that. The fourth chakra is the heart chakra located in the center of your chest. And it is about love and balance and your thymus gland and your heart and blood pressure and stuff like that. The fifth chakra is your throat chakra. And it's really with communication, speaking your truth, thyroid problems, etc. The next chakra is your third eye chakra located in the middle of your forehead. It really helps with inspiration and intuition, really following what you feel is right, what you want to do. And the seventh chakra is the crown chakra. And that one is really big for headaches and mental illness and being okay 
and stuff like that. He just loves talking. I love it. He's so cute. That's amazing. Yeah. So for our listeners who don't know about chakras, I definitely encourage you to look into look into them. They might not be your thing. They're not everybody's thing. Um, they're not a huge my thing, but I'm getting more into them. Um, I think you have to be in a certain place to kind of like see how they apply and that they actually do um, have some influence. So check it out. Maybe your thing may not be your thing. So as for um, crystals, you know, you have to subscribe to the crystal healing, that idea of thinking. And this is something that um, I'm working on and I am actually slowly but surely coming around to it. And I, I, I see the power and it sounds really woo woo to say that, but it's very true. So as far as crystal healing, give me all you got for that. What, what about crystal healing? So why crystals are called healing stones or healing crystals, healing gems, etc. If you look at the molecular structure of a crystal, it is perfect. It is uniform and it is synchronistically all together. If you look at other solids like that, it's all crazy, they're all jumbled. None of them are vibrating at the same frequency and it's a mess. But with crystals, it is all uniform and synchronized. They're all vibrating at the same frequency. They all go together. So, when you put such a balanced frequency, an object that gives off a beautiful, perfect vibration, and it interacts with something else in the space, be it a person or another living being that has an imbalance or a frequency that is off, the crystal immediately starts working at balancing those frequencies. And making that vibration that is not vibrating right, it makes it right. You can use crystals just by having them in your room, by holding them in meditation. Crystal grids are such a wonderful and powerful way to concentrate energy and make it burst out with an intention. I do several crystal grids on love with malachite and rose quartz and really connecting the heart chakra to the crown chakra and to the root chakra because to have all of them connected and balanced is really important and crystals you can oftentimes know what chakra it works on is by the color a pink chakra or a green chakra or a pink crystal or a green crystal is going to be from the heart chakra a black crystal or a red crystal is for the root and so on and so forth. That's amazing. So what do those colors have to do with the chakras? Like, I guess, how would I have known that a black crystal was for your root chakra? Otherwise, that does make sense to me. Black is very grounding, I think, and your root chakra grounds you, isn't that? So that one makes sense to me, but like green for the heart, I would never have thought about that. So how, what does that have to do with So the rainbow is actually the colors of each chakra. The root chakra is red, the sacral chakra is orange, the solar plexus is yellow, the heart is green, the throat is light blue, the third eye is indigo dark blue, and the crown is purple. And if you really just want to quickly cleanse your chakras, imagine whatever color for whatever chakra. And that's really it. The crystals that are those colors is really what frequency and vibration they give off. Like sound is also a very big thing. For the root chakra, the note C coincides with that chakra. And then it's C, D, E, F, G, A, B. So if like you're playing on the piano or something, that's what it is. C, D, E, F, so on and so forth. Amazing. That's super cool. 
So woo-woo, my hippie side is like going super crazy. I know there are some hippies out there in the crowd thinking, hell yeah, this is my stuff. And then I know there are some people thinking, okay, these people are lunatics. I love it. I love it so much. So how would you incorporate crystals into your life? Because I have a lot. I'm like looking over for our listeners. I'm looking over to my, my, little, my little table, my little desk that has all my crystals. I do a lot of just sitting there. I'll hold them while I meditate. I'll hold them. You know why I'm like saying my affirmations. Sometimes I really do just let some sit in my lap while I do work. But otherwise, I don't know. How would you incorporate crystals into your life? Or how would you tell somebody to do that if they were new to crystals? I have a bag of small crystals in my purse with me always. I sometimes put amethyst under my pillow to sleep because it really promotes a good sleep. And sometimes amethyst can be funky under your pillow though. If you are going through any traumatic or have had bad nightmares or anything like that, it can bring it out. That's a lot to do with Reiki and crystals. They bring forward stuff that we push down, which is really good in the process of healing, but some people react negatively to it. The first time I ever put amethyst under my pillow, I had a horrible nightmare, but I meditated on it and it really brought it up to me that I haven't really dealt with this the way that I should and it helped me heal from that experience. Other ways to incorporate crystals is I and my husband, we each have an altar which has a crystal grid on it that constantly is sitting in our room. So that crystal grid, again, concentrates that energy and bursts it out to where this high intense energy is just always in our room. Other ways is I have wire wrapped crystals hanging up in my room on the walls and such and other ways is just carrying them with you. I personally make medicine bags, which is kind of a, a spinoff from Native American medicine bags that have crystals in them that I like to put on my altars or my nightstand under the pillow, in the bed, in your car, at work. Different ones for different things should pl be placed in different places. But really just follow your intuition. If you feel one crystal should stay in your car so you're protected while you're driving have that crystal in your car it could be one for protection or for awareness because awareness is really good while you're driving and just other things like that really just follow your intuition when it comes to crystals amazing i have a crystal in my car and it um it just stays in there all the time just to protect me as i'm driving and i'm on the road um and also you know serving clients. I do a lot of thinking in the car. So I feel like it kind of brings clarity to that. Um, or it, I don't know if it brings necessary clarity, but it definitely, it feels like there's a safety bubble around my car. Like I'm safe to do deep thinking while I drive. So cool. I love it. Um, what kind of rituals did you carry out with your stones for your pregnancy and birth experience? Cause I carry some with me. So I carry um, Unikai and Masa Gate with me when I'm at birth. I also have a few meditation rituals that I do before each birth. Um, for my infertility clients, I really rely on the stone adventurine, which enhances the, you know, fertility and black tourmaline, um, amber, moonstone. Moonstone is cool because it strengthens your feminine energy. Um, it also can be used to like get your period back on track. So people who are trying to influence their cycle, um, moonstone can have an effect on that. And then peridot obviously is really great for um, postpartum because it supports the transition to motherhood. But you, what did you do specifically? This is a cool story. One day I was pregnant with my husband. We went to our local metaphysical shop and there was just this beautiful butterfly necklace. It was a crystal, I had no idea what the crystal was. And I was like, I have to have this. And I got it and it was Unikite. And I came home and I was like, I researched it. And it's just a wonderful stone for pregnancy and motherhood and 
really helping with that transition and bonding and anxiety and stuff like that. And I was like, that's why I was so attracted to that crystal. I always say if you're shopping for a crystal, go to the one that you are so attracted to. And that was just really amazing. But while I was pregnant, I did a lot of grids on my belly. Like actually on my belly, especially when I was in a little more flat in my first trimester. Just placing them on my belly. When I got bigger and I would put a crystal on my belly, he would kick me. Just stuff like that. I really love doing grids and I would sit up straight and have a crystal grid going from my root chakra out to my feet and I would just sit there and feel it and it was just really wonderful and crystal grids are such a powerful thing to use especially in pregnancy to really focus on that energy because they're not only an intense energy thing but they're so calming you're having an anxiety attack or something along the lines of that you're stressed out it's just something to sit down and just have fun with and experiment with cool so we keep doing a lot of talking about these crystal grids but we haven't actually um you know really dug into what they are so you talked a little bit about the shape and that they can be um you know different shapes and stuff but what is a crystal grid so a crystal grid is when you take a bunch of different crystals, whether it's four crystals or a lot of crystals, and just have fun, set an intention, and make a shape. You can have them in any order you want. I try to make mine somewhat balanced, like one in the middle, and then a circle going around it, and like little ones connecting all of them. And then if you want, you don't have to do this, but when you're done making the grid, draw over them with your finger where you want the energy to actually flow. What pattern, what crystal to what crystal, like the traffic of the energy and where you want that to flow. Now, if you don't really care about it being that specific, just let it be and it'll do wonders. But if you want to be that specific, that is also a wonderful way to really intensify that energy. That is so cool to hear you say that. So while I don't do the finger thing, I don't make a path of my finger. I didn't know that, but I definitely will start. When I do meditate with my stones, that is bizarre because I make crystal grids and I didn't even know. I try and make them, so I'm type A all the way. So in my mind, I was making them symmetrical. I was like, this needs to look pretty. And I had no clue I was making a crystal grid. How incredible. Wow. The energy is so cool. That's in, that is, that's intense. I love it. I love it so much. I also love that you say to pick your crystals based on what you are drawn to. So I usually go to buy crystals with a specific crystal in mind, but when I get to that section and it's those crystals, I usually have a particular draw to a, a, a particular stone. Um, and that's the one that I get and I haven't been wrong yet. So I love it. That is so cool. So woo-woo for our listeners today. I'm sorry for those of you who don't really subscribe to this. This is probably... You're probably just like thinking you're in Alice in Wonderland. I love it so much. So something that you use, Taylor, and I'm actually watching our baby use it right now is amber teething necklaces. I recently learned about these and I kind of love them. Talk to us about amber teething necklaces. So amber, Baltic amber, has succinic acid inside of it naturally occurring succinic acid and this is also synthetically put in a lot of pain medications but so when the amber teething necklace is worn it could be a necklace or a bracelet or really anything what happens when the body heats up is it releases that succinic acid into the body and really is an awesome natural pain reliever this one also has amethyst on it, which helps with the calming and soothing aspect of it. And ever since I put it on him, there has been a major difference. 
That is incredible. So do do babies actually chew on these necklaces? Are they safe to chew on or they're just for wearing? They are not safe to chew on at all. Actually, amber teething necklaces are made to not go above the chin at all. They are not supposed to go above the chin. And usually they are made for very easy break. So if the child were to get stuck on something, they would break easily. And they have knots in between every bead. So if it does break, if they chew on it or not, then they can't choke. Amber is digestible, so if they swallow it, it is totally fine, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose of it is just to release that succinic acid, and it goes through the bloodstream and through the sweat and stuff, and it automatically relieves that pain. Amazing. I love it. Yeah, I kind of love them. So again, I recently learned about them um, in my crunchy green life journey that I'm on. And I just like them so much because they are very natural and it's very, very, very hard to find teething solutions that are all natural. Like it is just so hard. Um, and I serve a lot of parents who want to stay really natural, but they also walk this line of not wanting their child to be in pain. Um, you know, and the amber teething necklaces, that perfect balance. I love it. Love it so much. So what's your biggest piece of advice for mothers out there listening? You've been doing this for four-ish months, almost five months. What kind of advice do you have for everyone out there? Take time for yourself. That is the biggest thing. Because like I said earlier, I had a truckload of postpartum depression and hit me really hard. And that was really when I came down from the baby high and I realized I'm not alone anymore. You know, it's not just me and my husband. It's not just me. I'm a food source. I am attached to this baby. It's really natural for babies to not even see the separation from their mothers until six months old. So that was kind of made me trapped. And I kind of forgot just who I was without Jasper. And I started realizing that and took time for myself. And it has made such a big difference. Even if a mom doesn't struggle with postpartum depression or anxiety, Taking time for yourself is the most important thing ever. You cannot give if you have nothing to give. You have to recharge on your own to truly be able to be balanced and be okay, not freak out. I mean, mental breakdowns are normal and they're okay, but to minimize that and to minimize any negative thoughts or feelings, Really take time for yourself. That is the biggest thing. I will stress on it so much. Also, not to feel ashamed if you do want or need help. Please let people help you. This is meant to be a village thing. This is a community event um, that doesn't have to sacrifice your privacy. Please let other people help you. There's no shame in that. It will actually make things so much easier. You can have that time to yourself and your baby can still get amazing love. You and your partner can have some time to yourselves. You can get some sleep. You can have people do all sorts of things. Please let us help you. We want to help all of you guys out there. So just say yes. Love it so much. So I thought that was my last question, but I have to know, is Jasper named after the stone? Yes. Yes, he is. I love it. So what's the story there? So when I first got pregnant, we picked out, you know, of course, a boy name and a girl name. And the boy name Jasper is just one of my favorite stones. There's so many different kinds of Jasper. Overall, the name Jasper means treasurer, but each different stone has just such different qualities. There's red Jasper, cobra Jasper, leopard Jasper, ocean Jasper is my favorite, and that is where we got the name from. Ocean Jasper is one of the stones of Atlantis. And it is beautiful. It looks so minerally and 
ocean and it's just awesome. Sometimes it's black and white, kind of dirt looking color. Other times it's like blue and brown. It's just such a magical stone. And I lose myself every time I look into an ocean jasper stone. So right when I got pregnant, I was like, his name is Jasper if it's a boy. I love it so much. What an amazing story. I love, love, love baby names and how they all come to be. So finally, Taylor, where can people connect with you if they were interested in buying things from your um, apothecary or learning about your knowledge of herbs or they had questions about crystals or they wanted your Reiki healing? How do they connect with you? So my website is risingmoonapothecary.com. On there, I have a blog. I talk a lot about different herbs and Reiki and crystals on my blog. I have all of my products on there, and I have all of my services on there. And products include lotion, sugar scrub, candles, smudging sticks, and other stuff. And my services include vibrational therapy, intensive couples Reiki, long-distance Reiki if you're not in North Carolina, and sound bathing. I also do guided meditations, which can also be done via Skype or Zoom or something if you are not in North Carolina and not able to make it to be in person. I have those options. The guided meditations, I actually just finished one. That is a heart trauma journey a journey through your life and through all traumatic experiences because the heart chakra is one to hold on to negative things in the past. So I made that in order to really help that. I have a chakra journey, which takes you on a visual journey through the chakras with really cool visualizations and stuff like that. I also have just an awareness guided meditations and other stuff like that. So risingmoonapothecary.com. I also have a Facebook. It's Rising Moon Apothecary. And an Instagram, Rising Moon Apothecary. On my Instagram, I do a lot of inspirational stuff and knowledgeable stuff. So if you want some inspiration, my Instagram is where to go. I love it so, so much. Wow, listeners. We covered so much today. A lotus birth, how to find information on that, C-sections and why you need a birth plan for them, Reiki, crystal healing, all the things. Oh my goodness, this was a very powerful and energetic episode. I'm so, so grateful for you guys hanging out with us today on the Tranquility Tribe podcast. Happy Tuesday, y'all. And as always, villagers, find your tribe and love them hard. Did you know that you can join our online tribes? Our private Facebook group can be found by searching the Tranquility Tribe podcast on Facebook. And our Instagram tribe is Tranquility by Hehe. If you have a story you want to share with us, please reach out to us at tranquilitybyhehe at gmail.com. Until next time, villagers.